Uh, so yeah, this week, as Big said, our staff did a staff retreat. And I don't know why we call it a treat, a retreat. We were in meetings all day. And for me, meetings are like, I don't know, I'd rather do a lot of other things besides meetings, but, uh, but we were in this meeting for a couple days straight. We went Monday, we left Wednesday, uh, and just a, a specific time of praying together, uh, seeking the Lord and seeing what He would have for us. And, uh, you know, back in the fall, the, God kind of led our staff to, to say, okay, 2016 is going to be a year of praying. Uh, of seeking the Lord, depending upon Him, that we're, we're going to be about His purposes and His kingdom. And we want to we pray just to make sure that we are on the same page with Him. And, and so God has kind of led us to, we are doing an organizational assessment. If you have ever been uh, in business, you know exactly what that is. Uh, but if, what you don't know is that in the church world, that never happens, okay? Uh, only time uh, churches are like, hey, let's figure out what's wrong with us and have an organizational assessment is when they're dying, right? And we're not dying. God is blessing us. We're growing. Last year, you know, we, we saw more people baptized, uh, people coming to know the Christ and being baptized. And we, you know, obviously God has been faithful uh, in, in, in the finances, all those things. We've seen just God do incredible things. Uh, and so it's rare that a church that is healthy and growing would say, hey, let's stop a minute and make sure we're in line with what God is doing. Let's not assume things here. And so we're doing this whole organizational assessment and, and um, you know, we're, we're, it'll be like an eight-month thing. But I just wanted to clue you in on that so that you can be praying for us as a church, for us as a leadership of the church. Uh, I want you to know we take it very seriously leading the church. We don't do this half-heartedly. We, we don't assume things about God. We, we want to make sure that we are aligned with His will and doing what He wants us to to do. And so we, we are blessed to be staffed by a group of individuals that seek the Lord, that want God to move and bless and want to honor Him with how we run a church. So uh, be praying for the church. Be praying for your involvement in the church and what that looks like for you, what 2016 looks like for you jumping in and getting your hands dirty and all those types of things uh, for a church. But the reason why we've jumped into this communion and kingdom series, this prayer series, is because we wanted it to be very clear from the start, 2016, from the very beginning, that if God is going to bless, if he is going to move, if we're going to see people saved and life changed, that it is going to be him. It's not going to be slick preaching. It's not going to be a, a good program. It's not going to be anything like that, but it's going to be completely and entirely God and God moving. And, and so I want you to know that we are going to be a church that is continually being dependent upon him. And the way you do that primarily is in prayer. One of the ways that you know that you are dependent upon him is your prayer life. I read you those quotes last week. It's like prayer is the soul's blood, right? A, 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 a praying man, if you're not a praying man, you're not a Christian, like these things, that prayer is the vitality to a spiritual life, it, that we are dependent upon God, and we, we know that by our prayer life. And so that's what we're continuing in um, uh, today, and I, I'm very excited about the vision and direction that God is taking our church. I think that, uh, I think that man, what God is doing is huge and, and, and going to blow our minds. We're going to look back on this time a year from now and be like, we had no clue all that God is did, going to do, had planned to do. Uh, and so we need to be praying. We need to be just on our face, crying out to God, and, and just asking Him to move. Now, there's a problem with that, though, because 
if we're going to be honest, a lot of us struggle with praying, right? We talked about this last week. We talked about, we're going to talk about how to pray this week. But we struggle. We, you know, we're not pro-prayers. A lot of times we feel like it's more duty than delight, than desire, right? We, we might pray uh, in, in, before dinner just because that's what you're supposed to do, right? We, we don't, but, but we struggle a lot of times to have a consistent, meaningful uh, prayer life and and. Basically, a lot of it might be rooted in we just don't know how to pray. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And if that's you, don't be discouraged because a great help to us is how dumb the disciples were. We can look at their lives and be like, oh, praise God. I I can make it. I can get through this, right? If they can do it, surely there's hope for me, right? Well, well, here's the thing. You know, the, the disciples, they were good Jewish boys. They probably prayed their three times a day, their ritualistic, rote, memorized prayers, right? Uh, and then they saw Jesus pray. And when they saw Jesus pray, their inadequacy in prayer, their prayer life stood out like a zit on prom night, right? It, 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 they just said, whoa, we don't know how to pray. Jesus, Teach us. They begged him, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. And, and I told you last week to, to read through Matthew 6 and, and Luke 11. These are the accounts of the, of the Lord's Prayer, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I prefer to call it the model prayer. I'll tell you why uh, towards the end. But uh, here we have the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the model prayer. Uh, and, and I'm going to read it in the Matthew 6 account, but they're really the same story. But I'm going to read in Matthew 6. Okay, and uh, and some of you are very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. If you played football in high school, you know the Lord's Prayer, right? You would say it before games. You know, I'm a chaplain over here at Oakland, and uh, they say it after every practice and before every game. And, you know, I thought I said it fast in high school. They're blazing speed. Our Father, who heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's pretty impressive, actually. And uh, uh, but it's a thing that we do more for a good luck charm than really a prayer, right? It has become this. Uh, thing that, you know, you know, whatever. And I remember praying in high school. I was lost as last year's Easter egg, but I still know the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I was praying that, praying that, praying that before games only, right, uh, that God would help us win. But the problem was we were terrible, so I th- didn't think it worked. Um, and so, so that's kind of what, what, what the Lord's Prayer has been reduced to in a lot of ways, this rote, memorized, ritualistic prayer. Uh, and, but Jesus is going to teach us that it's not something. Now, we can repeat it. We can repeat it. It's not wrong to repeat it, but it's not meant to be this, okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, without any real emotion or feeling or, 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 or thinking about the words we're saying, right? Uh, and so it's meant to be more than that. And so if you feel like you stink at prayer, be encouraged. Uh, one of the things you can notice about this is they said to him, Jesus, teach us to pray. So if t- it, then Jesus teaches them to pray. And so if prayer can be taught, that means prayer can be learned. Amen, right? That means we have a chance. We can learn how to pray. And that's what we're going to look at, Jesus teaching them how to pray. So starting in verse 9, let's dive in. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, To begin, in order to rightly pray, you you must be able to sincerely call upon God as your Father. Now, there is a general sense in which God is the father of all people in that he has created them. But if, 
in the beginning, if you've read the first three chapters of Genesis, you know how quickly we messed it all up. And when we sinned in the beginning, we created this gap between us and God, right? Between the holiness of God and our sinfulness. And so now when we are born, we are not innate children of God. We are not those that he would call sons and daughters. So there's this special, uh, and, and you know that because Jesus, if you look throughout Jesus' ministries, he, he called Jews. He said, you are like your father, the devil, which implies, okay, they are not a child of God. First John talks about we have been given the right to be called children of God. Why? Because he has saved us. He has brought us to himself. So the first way to be able to to be able to pray rightly is to be able to say our father. And you can't say our father unless you have actually became a child of God. If you have been saved by Jesus, repentance of sin and belief in Jesus, right? If you are not a Christian, then your prayers are like asking an enemy to give you stuff. You are an enemy of God outside of the faith. And until you come under the cross, the Bible says that you are an enemy. You are an alienated from God. And so it would be like asking God for uh, uh, your enemy to say, hey, give me some stuff. Give me some, you know, whatever. And I, I remember when I was, and, and before you if you became a Christian when you're late in life, you, you can see this uh, more clearly, but I remember not being a believer, and my prayers would consist of completely selfish desires, right? I'd, middle school, I'm laying in bed like, Lord, let me date that girl. She's so fine, right? Please let me, and, and, and uh, if you, if you get, let me date that girl, I will love you the rest of my life, right? And obviously, it wasn't in the will of God or the will of that girl, because I never got, you know, it never happened. Uh, but, so, but that was what my prayer consisted of. It was like, God, if you do this, I'll do this. It was like bargaining, right? It was this bargaining chip uh, with God. And, and, um, and obviously, that, that's, uh, that I was asking him things, and I wasn't his child. Now, the, the word father here is, is leaning us towards an intimacy. It says our father, relationship, intimacy, like, 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 uh, like a dad, like a good father. And you, if you get this, if you get this intimate as, aspect with you and the father, it changes your prayer life. It completely changes because you don't approach God anymore as wrote, memorized, religious, but you come to him as a son or as a daughter. You can come to him as, 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 as a dad. As a son comes to his dad. And so the first part of uh, to learning to pray begins with knowing your father. And the more a, 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 a child knows their dad, the more they'll talk to him. Uh, we've had several people in our church that have gone through the process of adoption, right? Some of you may have done that. You will remember in the early days, you, you, you get your son or your daughter, and, and those first few weeks, months are rough. For several reasons, one language barrier, especially if they're a little older, uh, but but also uh, primarily international doctrine. But also, like they don't they don't yet trust you, they don't yet know you, right? And the more your child begins to know you, the more they'll talk to you to the point that you'll eventually be like, okay, I'm done, you know, talking, right? With all kids, but they begin. The more they know, the more they trust, the more they begin to talk. And in the same way, if you're a Christian, like when you get saved, you don't really know how to pray. You're just like, oh, okay, this is. I've never done this before. Is this working? Can I trust you? Can I do? I, do I believe this? Is this working? Is this just hitting the ceiling? What's What's the deal here? 
But the more you walk with God, the more you begin to know the Father, the more you know about the Father, the more you trust, the more you talk, the more you realize He's in control of everything. I'm going to bring to Him my, my prayers, my needs, all those types of things. And so, um, so beginning to trust Him more fully is the, the beginning key. It's, it, and and it's, it's like my kids, right? Um, the way they talk to me, they don't talk to me formally, right? They don't talk to me mechanically. They don't come to me like, Father, dearest Father, I beseech thee to allowest me to partake of Dora the Explorer. I'd be like, huh? Well, hold on a minute. What? Right? First of all, I'm not King Arthur or something, right? This ain't no round table, right? And secondly, you ain't touching the remote. Playoffs are on, right? I'm watching football. Get your iPad or something, right? Uh, and, and so, but anyway, they don't come to me. You, you know, they come to me very intimately. Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I go outside? My daughter, she's not even two. I, I don't do the months thing. I forget. It's like 20 some. I can't keep up, right? But she's less than two. I know that. All right. And she has learned to say, uh, Daddy, candy. And I say, no. She goes, Why? You ain't even two yet. How you asking why, right? Like, oh, my, I'm in trouble. Y'all pray for me. Uh, but anyway, you, that's what your kids do. They come to you, right? Can I go outside? Can I, can I, Daddy, I love you. Daddy, can I do this? All those kinds of things. And, and every time, <coughs> excuse me, every time my kids ask me something, I answer them. Well, I, unless they just ask 900 times, and I just ignore them. But generally, if they ask me something, I answer them, right? It's either yes or no or not yet, right? Like if my kids come to me and say, Daddy, can I have some more peas? Yes, right? Of course, that never happens. But if they did, like theoretical here, right? Uh, Daddy, can I go clean my room? Yes, absolutely, right? Daddy, can I dunk Abby's head into the toilet? No, right? Daddy, can I date this guy? No. (laughs) Daddy, can I shoot your gun? Not yet, unless it's at the guy Abby wants to date. Right? But I, as a father, I give them answers, right? Yes, no, maybe I'm giving them answers. The same thing is true with God. He, he answers our prayers. Now, that answer might be no, but he's always after the good of his children, right? You have prayed prayers. It's that old Garth Brooks song, right? Thank God for unanswered prayers. Well, they weren't, that's kind of theologically inaccurate. They were answered. The answer was no. You should not have this yet. It's why none of us won the lottery, right? It wouldn't be best for us. Now, you think it'd be best, but God says, "Uh uh-uh. He'd mess you all up, right? And so God knows what is best for his children. He's going to grant the prayers that are best for his children. He's going to say no when it's best for you. He's going to say not yet when you're not ready. He's, he, he is a good, good father after the good for his children. And... Um, and so th- this is, a, I know this is a struggle because uh, every one of us, every one of us bring into our relationship with God baggage from our own fathers. Even if you had a good father, you still have some baggage that you're bringing into your relationship with God. And if you had a bad father, you're really bringing in baggage into your relationship with God. And so, man, can this God be trusted? Can my, he says he's my father, but I know my father on earth looks like this, and I can't quite make the translation that God would be this good, that God would answer my prayers, that God would be for my good, that God would care about me, that he wouldn't walk out on me. 
that he's there, even when he tells me, no, that he's there, that he's loving. And so we all bring some kind of baggage into uh, uh, our relationship with God from our fathers. Now, dads, this is a reminder to us that your kids primarily see who God is through you. And that this is for us men to rise to the occasion, don't waste the opportunity so that our kids would get a somewhat of a good picture of God by looking at our lives, that they would see us and say, oh, my father has loved me because God loved him. God must be a loving God. And we can't waste this opportunity with our kids to show them how much, uh, how good God is. Now, the next thing Jesus says, he says, hallowed be your name. Now, God's purpose is, it, is that his name be hallowed, which means that the hallowed just means that it is holy, that it is set apart. So what, this, what the prayer is, is that our Father, intimacy, hallowed be your name, meaning this, that we come to God and we say, God, everything that you are, every attribute that you are eternal, that you are holy, that you are set apart, that you are uh, sovereign, that you are just, that you are good. All of these things, we come to you and say, those are holy. They are good. That we, we just come and we say, that name, hallowed be all that you are, every attribute that you are, praise be to you. We come under you in agreement of everything that you are. We love it. We might not fully understand all of it, but everything that you are, we love, we want, we want to proclaim, we want to spread from the mountaintops. Holy be your name, not just your name, but everything that he is. That's what this word, hallowed be your name, that God is sinless, that God uh, is right and just and pure, that he's good all the time. That, that so, so our prayers, our, our prayers are not just to make sure that God knows details about our life. We're not informing God of anything. He doesn't need info, right? He does, you know, if you're reading to him, like, everything that happened to you in your day, and remember God when I did it, he knows, right? He doesn't need info. What he wants is you. He wants your heart. He wants you to be in line with all that he is and all that is revealed about him in the scriptures. This is why our prayer life and our, our scripture intake is very closely related. We have to be a people that are both in the word if we want to be a praying people. So we can know who God is, right? So we can know his attributes and, and, and everything that he is about. And so we come and we praise him and we're, we're talking to him like, like a dad, but not like a human dad, right? I'm not perfect. I'm not holy, right? I can't be everywhere, but God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere, right? Uh, I, I don't know everything. I know that surprises you. I don't know everything, but God is omniscient. He knows all. I, I, I'm, I can't fix every problem, but God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And so knowing that God is the sovereign of the world, that all his attributes, uh, in that he, he spoke a word and created everything we know. By his very breath, stars stay where they are. He has given us life. He has spoken life into us. He controls all. So when we come to God, we just attest to that. We say, God, we know you are in charge of everything. The ocean only comes so far because you told it to. We have life. We've been given souls in this day, in this time, because you ordained it. So we come to you as sovereign God, and we say, we 
come to you, just that you would move on our behalf, that you would answer these prayers, that you would align us with your kingdom, that you would supply these needs. So it's in reference to the attributes of God that we come under, to, under him in prayer, right? All right, uh, let's read on before I get, I'm, I'm running out of time. i got to hurry. Matthew 6, 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've, we've talked this towards the end of last year, but God's kingdom is both now and not yet. Not yet in that he's coming again. There's going to come a day he splits open the sky. He's coming to bring new heaven and new earth. All that. He's coming again, right? But the kingdom is also not yet in that it is coming. Like your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That we are the ambassadors for the kingdom of God moving throughout the world. That our prayer is that God's kingdom would come. And the way his kingdom come is that his rule and reign would be over his followers. And that because of their submission, their uh, their, their adoption into his kingdom, they would begin to live out the kingdom of light, pushing back the kingdom of darkness. This is what it means that his kingdom come, that he would have rule and reign over us, and that through that rule and reign, we would push out the kingdom of darkness. That Satan, in his work in the world, would absolutely fear the children of God, pushing back his work in the world. That means we're fighting for orphans. That means we're fighting for victims of sex trafficking. That means we're, we're feeding the homeless. That means, we're, 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 that means we are working in the world to see his kingdom come. Those things aren't going to happen in heaven, and so it should not be okay for those things to happen here for the believer. Everything that will not be in heaven, we should hate, and we should be, begin to push towards... Uh, uh, rectifying it. We should be pushing towards his kingdom come and making it right. That's why we have a passion for the hurting. That's why we have a passion for the victim. And that's why we have a passion to spread the gospel because we know that lives won't be changed unless God does it, unless they are saved by him. And so this is what it means that God's kingdom would come. And, that, and, and you need to understand that God's kingdom and his cause are not contradictory to our good. See, I think this is what the issue with a lot of churches are in, in the world today is that they have become completely man-centered. In that, we say, oh, okay, what, what's best for us? What's, what, what, what do we need? You know, what, here's what I like about this, and here's what I need to get done, and I'm paying my tithes, so it's kind of like a membership, so you need to do these things for me. And the church as a whole in America has lost its way in that we have become completely centered around us. But God has always established that everything that he puts in this world is about him. The healthy church is the church that is God-centered, that says, okay, God, we will do what you want us to do. We will let you be the object of our worship. We will be in submission under your headship and leadership. And that we are very God-centered. And this is important for your prayer life. Are you praying a prayer that's very you-centered? Or have you realized that there's something bigger going on here? That, that, that your life and everything you do should be centered around Him. Your, the hours you work at work should be God-centered. Your prayer life should be God-centered. Your marriage should be God-centered. Your kids should be God-centered. Your money should be God-centered. Everything you do should be centered around Him. And, and, it's, and listen... This is, let me tell you why. Not just because, oh, you got to do this, you got to do this. No, this is how you get the most good. 
This is how you get the most joy. If you pursue your own good and your own joy out with you being the center and not God, you will fail miserably and you will wind up empty. But if you pursue your joy in God and he grants you that joy, grants you that good. I, I want to read to you a quote. Uh, this is Martin Luther. He's really just talking about what Jesus has already said when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, talking about food, clothes, all these things will be given unto you, right? You remember that? But listen to this quote by Martin Luther. He says, it is due to the perversity of men that they seek first peace and then righteousness. Consequently, then, they find no peace. This is our nation. This is our world. We think a new president is going to bring peace. We, we try to pursue peace in every other way except for Christ and his kingdom and his righteousness. We try to pursue peace in money or the bottle. Or we try to pursue peace in all these different ways, but we're not going to be peaceful. We're not. Christ has said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. You want peace in your marriage? You want peace with your kids? You want peace in your workplace, with your life? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him and his righteousness. Seek him. He is the grantor of peace. But it only comes through being in him and being absolutely uh, surrounded by him, being God-centered. God-centered. Uh, let's read on uh, 6.11. says, Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, daily bread here just refers to our basic physical needs. Like, um, and, and if you recall, he's making a reference to the people of God wandered in the desert for 40 years. And every day, when they wandered in this desert for 40 years, every day God supplied for them manna. Basically, this bread-type substance that would be there every morning for them to go gather and eat. So God provided for them bread every day. And on Fridays, before the Sabbath, he would give them two days' worth. God provided for them every day. So it's in reference to give us this day. Now, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people here that don't have pantries full of food. Right? Like... In order for them to eat, they had to kill it. They had to hunt it. They had to grow it. They had to fish for it. Uh, if they didn't catch anything or grow anything or kill anything, they didn't eat, right? And so you're talking to a people that ultimately depend on eating by God granting it to them. And, and obviously for us, we don't, our prayer probably wouldn't be, um, God give us this day our daily bread. Probably we don't need to eat all the bread that God has given us, Right? We've been given so much. We need to start looking for what we're going to do with the, with the abundance, right? He's given us so much. And so, this, but this prayer, the primary purpose of this prayer is not just food, though it is uh, uh, food, but it's, it's also that we should, we should bring our needs to God. We should ask God to provide our needs. But I love that it's connected with everything before because even in asking for our needs, even in asking for us to eat, even in asking for God to supply financially, all of those things are rooted in his kingdom come and are rooted on top of that in our father, intimacy with him, right? 
So when we come to God and we say, God, I want to eat, it should be not just I want to stuff myself full of food because I'm, I'm comfortable when I do that. It is feed me so that I can work for the purposes of your kingdom come in the world. Supply my needs so I can use those resources to see your name be hallowed among all peoples and all nations of all the world. This is the Lord's Prayer. Give me sustenance so I can turn and use it for your good and your glory. So I can make your kingdom come. So I can work towards your kingdom coming. So even in our needs, we are calling upon his kingdom coming. And let's wrap up the passage here, 12 and 13. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this is why I call it the Lord's Prayer, because Jesus is sinless. He doesn't need to pray, God, forgive me. He didn't need forgiveness. He was perfect. Okay, so that's why he's given us a model to pray. And he is expressing to us how important it is for us to seek confession, seek repentance, to call out to God for forgiveness. Uh, he's saying that's very important. And we, we should not allow sin to just be undealt with in our life. We should be hasty about confessing it to God, dealing with it, so that our intimacy with him is not harmed. Right? So that we can come to him without anything uh, blocking our, 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 our walk with him, our talk with him. And we don't have sin drowning out God trying to move in us and speak to us. Right? And uh, so it's important. And then Jesus, notice he says that we should pray for God to forgive us. Um, as we forgive those who've wronged us, right? He, he says basically the same thing right after the passage too, so you can read it there as well. And, um, and just to be clear, I want to be clear on what this says. This is not saying that if you forgive others, then you will be forgiven. This is not what it's saying, okay? Because if that were the case, if, if you forgiving everybody else was a prerequisite to you being forgiven by God, we're all damned, Right? We're all in trouble because we didn't start the forgiveness process. None of us did. But what it's saying is, if you have been forgiven by God, then you have been changed in order to be able to forgive others. So forgiveness is, forgiving others is not a prerequisite to being forgiven by God. Forgiving others is the sign that you have been forgiven by God. You understand? So we forgive because we have been forgiven. If we have not been forgiven, it's so much harder for us to forgive. And so that you need to understand that about that scripture. And, and you also need to know that this means that our relationship with God and our relationship with others are, are absolutely interwoven in such a way that you can't separate the two. It's why Jesus refers to when you, when you in the New Testament, he says, when you bring your offering to the temple and you remember you've got something against your brother, leave it. And go make right that relationship before you offer to me. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another are so intertwined that you, you cannot separate the two. And if you have a strained relationship with people, you're going to have a strained relationship with God. You know this to be true, right? You've gotten ticked at somebody, right? And the last thing you want to do when you're mad, you're bitter, you're just, you know, you're just... You just in your own sorrow, just mad at everybody, right? The last thing you want to do is come and open the scriptures and pray, right? That's the last thing we, uh, maybe it's just me, I don't know. That's the last thing I want to do, all right? And so when I'm mad at somebody, I just want to be mad at them, right? I just want to be, they need to know I'm mad at them. I'm going to text them, tell them I'm mad at them, 
right? It, but the last thing we want to do is come to God. and that, that, that's Because when we open the scriptures and we pray, it begins to convict us, right? He begins to move in us. He means you shouldn't, you should forgive first. You know, I don't want to forgive first, right? <laughs> I don't mean doing that. You can see how our strife with individuals affects our relationship with God. That's why we have to fight to forgive other folks. Even if we have to take the first step, that means we have to to do that. And primarily, this is talking about relationships with your family, relationships in the church, right? It's, It's not okay to just bail out and go somewhere else. Well, I'm mad. I've heard this for years. People get mad at somebody in the church, and they'll just leave the church because they're mad at somebody in the church. That's not biblically how to handle conflict, and that will not lead to your joy. You need to understand that. That would just absolutely lead to you. You continue to have struggles, and you can because listen, when there's conflict between you and another person, when you leave that relationship, there's still half of that conflict going with it, right? You're part of it, right? And so we have to be a people that fight for forgiving others, being quick to forgive. And, and listen, I understand that forgiveness is the, one of the hardest things you'll ever do it, because it's a supernatural work. It's a supernatural work, and, and forgiveness is vital to our spiritual life. Uh, here's the thing. If you're a bitter person, listen, hurt people hurt people. So if you're a hurt individual, you're just going to keep hurting everybody else you have a relationship with. You have to forgive whoever's in your past that needs forgiven, whoever's in your life that needs forgiveness. And here's what the scriptures just told us. It says, forgiven people, forgive. Forgiven people, forgive. I don't think any of us are going to stand before God, and when God says, why should I let you into heaven? You're going to say, it was all me. I did awesome. I was so good. I did this crazy. I went to church every Sunday, boy. I had, well, at least every other Sunday. I had it down, right? No, no one's going to say that. What are we going to say? If you're a believer, what you're going to say is, honestly, I, there is nothing in me that deserves to be here. There's no good in me. that I did not earn this. I did not merit this. There, I didn't figure anything out. The only reason I'm here is because Jesus, by his grace and mercy, has saved me. That's it. He has forgiven me. Now, when you know that to be true in your life, when you know that type of forgiveness is what has happened in you, then it makes you more able to forgive those who don't deserve to be forgiven. Did you hear me? I didn't say everything's got to be right between you and them. I said forgive them even if they don't deserve to be forgiven. You holding on to something is only killing you so forgiven people forgive that's what the scriptures are telling us here that we would fight against bitterness and fight against um, the the strife among each other so that we can walk with God purely now uh, to wrap up he says lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil Uh, don't misunderstand this God doesn't tempt anyone James says God isn't tempted and he tempts no one right and so Jesus here is modeling the importance of of confessing to God that if you are not for me, if you do not help me, if you do not go with me, if you do not guide me, then I will fail. I will fall. Temptation will be too strong for me. Sin's grasp will be too tight for me. I declare dependency upon you. I need you to keep me in you. 
I need you to keep me from sin. This is us as believers just confessing our weakness before God and saying, I didn't get saved on my own accord, and I need you to help me fight sin and temptation. Without you, I can't fight it on my own. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. If you look at Ephesians 6, the armor of God, it is simply that, the armor of God, not your own. So we have this dependency upon him, even in our daily fight with God. That's why, I mean, with sin, that's why it's so important for us to walk with God daily, to to read his scriptures daily, to pray daily. Why? So we can come to him and say, without you, I'm hopeless. Without you, I'm not going to be a godly father. Without you, I'm not going to raise my kids in the Lord. Without you, I'm going to struggle with lust. Without you, I'm going to, I'm going to fail to the sin. Without you, I need you. I confess my dependency and need upon you. That's what Jesus is teaching us in praying. Confess, be weak, come to him, and declare your, your dependency on him. So just to wrap up, I want to close with reminding you that all of this is about communion and kingdom. All of prayer is about communion and kingdom. Communion in that we are saved by God. He has, this is the doctrine of adoption. He has adopted us through salvation into his family, that we can be called sons and daughters of God because he has saved us. So then we can have the right to come to God with boldness, with with courage, and, and to confess and to pray to him because as we are children he has made us commune with him and so and then if you notice the scripture says forgive us our debts the only way we can have communion with God is that he has canceled out our debts and he didn't just cancel out our debts and make us even he canceled out our debts and then he gave us way more than 1.5 billion dollars he gave us himself he gave us him his presence he gave us all that he is which is more valuable than all the gold and all the money and all the riches of the world he gave us himself this is the communion that we have people we have already won the lottery he has saved us made us his own we are his children and then we have kingdom and the kingdom is that we come under his purposes under his will and we say God your will be done use me to accomplish your work in the world use me to help push the light into the kingdom of darkness shed out all the darkness push it further and further out your will be done in my own life supply my needs so that those needs can go to pushing your kingdom in the world communion and kingdom this is what we have in God this is what we have in prayer that we would be absolutely his our father and we'd be absolutely about his kingdom and his kingdom to come and his kingdom now here's what i want to do we're going to enter into a a time of prayer i'm going to lead you uh, just in praying and i'm going to i'm going to ask you to pray some things that i've preached today the band's going to come up as we're doing that uh, but we're going to just have a, a moment of prayer, okay? And where you are, I'm just going to say some things. I want you to pray over those things in your own life, okay? Uh, bow with me. First thing I'm going to ask you to pray for is if you are a believer, would you thank God that he has saved you? If you are not a believer, would you ask him to save you or to show you that you need to be saved.
Would you take just a moment just to think upon the attributes of God, the many that they are, and would you just praise him for some of those now? Maybe that's his justice. Maybe that's his righteousness. Maybe that's his eternal existence. Maybe it's his love. Whatever those attributes are, would you thank him for those? Would you pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven? And would you ask him how it is that you are to manifest that kingdom into the world? pray for your needs. We all have needs. Would you just bring them to the Father? Now listen, not greeds, needs. Ask him for to supply your needs. Praise God. If you're, if you're saved now, just pray a prayer of praise that he has forgiven you of your debts. All the ways you have wronged the holy God. Would you pray God will show you who you need to forgive and the strength to forgive them? Notice I said who. I didn't say if you needed to forgive somebody because we probably all have someone we need to forgive. Allow God to reveal that to you and ask him to give you the strength to do that. you pray just a confession of dependency upon Jesus, that you need him to keep you from temptation and sin, and would you ask him to do that?
Jesus, we come to you as a church just confessing that we don't get it right a lot of the time, Father, and we, our prayer life um, needs some learning. <laughs> Uh, I confess that for sure. And Father, I pray that you would continue to teach us how to pray. I know that's a dangerous prayer for what it may mean for us. It means rooting out selfish heart and a lot of people. It means having to forgive a grudge we've been holding for years. It means seeing our provisions as tools in the hands of God to see people come to know Christ and the kingdom come. I pray, Father, that you would make us a praying people. And Father, I ask that you would just continue to show us perspective that we have a few short years left on this earth. Are we going to live it man-centered or God-centered? Let us align our lives with the only purpose worth giving our life for, namely Christ and his glory going throughout the whole world. Rights being made wrong, hurts being healed, sin being crushed under the weight of the cross, sinners being saved. bitterness being rooted out in forgiveness. God, would you just do a work? This is a supernatural thing. We, we, we beg you to do it. Father, we love you and uh, we just need you to be able to accomplish an intimacy that we don't often feel, a fight with sin that we don't even often know we're in and a work of your kingdom in the world. Open our eyes. Move in us, Father. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.